Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today, I speak with Dr. Jen Pratt, a pediatric physician at Children's Minnesota. Dr. Jen has a unique full cycle story of having her life positively transformed as a critically ill child diagnosed with cancer. And she is now helping transform the lives of other critically ill children through the magic of a wish. We talk about her diagnosis at a young age and how that shaped her desire to pursue a medical career. And we learn how the Make-A-Wish program positively impacted her life. 2020 marked 25 years since she received her wish. We discuss how a wish can have a profound effect on a child's mental and physical health. And it wouldn't be relatable if we didn't talk about her path to becoming a doctor and what she believes are the critical soft skills to be successful in medicine. And I'd be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to send my personal appreciation and gratitude for all of the healthcare workers out there. Your tireless work of supporting and caring for others is recognized and we're so thankful for all that you do. Enjoy this episode. Dr. Jen, thank you so much for joining us here at Relatable. I am so excited to talk to you. Uh, I feel like there's so much we could talk about in terms of your experience, your profession, and also in terms of our audience. I was just mentioning to you, I think you're our first physician. So a lot to cover here in terms of your story. Maybe we could start first with what you do, um, what your role is, what your job is, and maybe if you could give us a day in the life, if that's yeah, even, of course. Well, thanks. Hard. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today. So I am a pediatric hospitalist, and for people who don't know what that is, that is um, a pediatrician that specializes in the care of hospitalized children. Uh, so I work at Children's Minnesota and get to take care of patients and families every day. And it's an extremely rewarding job to be able to be a part of that experience for young children. In terms of like a day in the life, gosh, you know, so it can be it can be kind of a wild ride at the hospital. It's up and down in terms of our busyness. Right now, it's very busy. Uh, we're seeing lots of patients from you know, young babies with viral illnesses to older children with mental health concerns. There's just a whole range of issues that, you know, I get to deal with in the hospital and it is never dull. It's always exciting. I'm always learning new things. But in terms of my day, I usually come in and I uh, collaborate closely with our emergency department. I will take calls for new admissions coming into the hospital, see patients during times where they're really stressed and families are really stressed and hopefully um, be able to guide them through that process and that hospital stay in a way that, that makes them feel a lot more comfortable. At the same time, I'm responding to patients that are already in the hospital and may have concerns come up. And then on other days, I'm rounding on patients, making a plan of care and working on getting them home or to the next step in their treatment plan. Wow. 
it sounds like a huge variety in terms of what you're facing with. And is it, how much of your day would you say is in the moment critical problem solving where you're trying to figure something out because it's different than, I mean, I always think of humans as while we're similar, you know, each human body is somewhat unique. And so are you, are you always, I mean, obviously you're, you're the physician, so you might tell me I'm wrong, but like, is there, you know, are you always trying to solve something that maybe you don't know the answer to, or it, you know, I think people assume physicians know all the answers or that because you went to the school or the experience that you've had, it's easy to figure stuff out. Yeah, no, I, I wish I knew all the answers. I definitely don't, but no, it, you know, medicine is really an art form I've realized and Mm. so much that goes into it that's interpersonal and how we communicate with, with people to gather information about what's happening to make decisions on healthcare. It's not black and white. And every single day I'm faced with making decisions that kind of go by, you know, my, my personal feel of the situation, looking at, you know, data in terms of patients, vital signs and labs and imaging tests that we do. And also, you know, just what I'm able to gather in terms of inf- information from patients and families. <laughs> A lot of our patients, you know, are too young to really tell us what's going on. So sometimes I feel like a detective in my job just to try to figure out exactly what's going on and make sure that, you know, we're doing the best thing we can to take care of um, the children in our care. So like I said, it's never dull and it's always challenging, which is something I, I do really love about my job. Tell me about your path to being a physician. I know you have a unique story. So tell us a little bit about how you got to be where you are and why the interest. Yeah. So my story really starts when I was around 11 years old, just finishing the fifth grade. And at that point, I was a typical, typical kid. I played basketball. I figure skated. I you know, enjoyed you know playing with my friends. Everything was pretty normal and things changed really quick for me. I had what I thought was an injury uh, in my leg and ultimately found out very quickly that there was something more going on. And I actually had a bone tumor, which was diagnosed as bone cancer, ultimately um, osteosarcoma. And this experience was very life altering for me. Uh, Yeah, for any family, I know that gets a diagnosis like that. It's just um, really kind of rocks your world. And I went through about a year of very intense chemotherapy in and out of the hospital and reconstruction of um, the tumor in my leg, uh, which led to a lot of physical therapy and rehabilitation and really kind of learning how to walk again and get that strength back over the course of a year. So that experience was just so impactful Mm -hmm. in just my whole being at that time. It really gave me insight into what so many families struggle with and what so many children, you know, have to go through, um, particularly in regards to childhood cancer. And actually, uh, this month is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, too, just happens to be, um, to highlight, you know, some of the, the challenges and the work that needs to be done in this area. But yeah, it just, I, I received such wonderful care at Children's Minnesota, and I was really so grateful to my team, particularly my doctor, mm-hmm. uh, that I just knew during that year, this is something I want to do. It became very clear wow. from the age of 11 
that I wanted to become a physician and help families that were dealing with, you know, hospitalized children or major medical illnesses. Uh, So yeah, it started at a young age. And from that vision, I really formulated every next step from there. Wow. And do you, it's interesting when you talk about 11, I think people have a version of what that is and what you remember or how mature you are and the way you talk about it. It it, it seems like, I mean, obviously maybe it, it makes you grow up really fast when you have a diagnosis like that. I'm guessing the fact that you were so conscious to say it's had such a, such an impact that you're like, this is how I want, you know, to pursue this, this career path. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I recall being in my my uh, oncologist's office kind of toward the end of treatment and my mom was like yeah so she wants to do what you're doing you know she she's yeah. going to she'll be in your, at your you know in your job one day and i think sometimes it's easy for people to kind of you know not totally take that seriously or be dismissive but right. i was fortunate that i had um a lot of people around me that continued to support this dream of and vision of mine what would you say if someone's listening where their child was just diagnosed and it's happening right now for them in terms of their family and maybe what what counsel do you have as someone who has been through it yourself but also is around it all of the time in terms of your role now what what advice or counsel do you have to help people or what, what do you do? You know, what do you give people now when you're, when you're in your day job? Yeah. Yeah. No, great question. I really try to tell families um, to take it one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Diagnosis is very overwhelming and actually there's a lot of strong feelings and emotions. And what's so hard about that diagnosis is there's just so little that, you know, you can control. and so kind of guiding families through that, try to be very upfront and supportive, but also realize that we don't have all the answers right away. And that's okay. What I do like to uh, communicate is that, you know, there are going to be some, you know, positive opportunities that can come from this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did have like the experience, um, I work with the Make-A-Wish organization. Mm -hmm. And being able to tell families about Make-A-Wish and some of the positive aspects that can come from um, some of these really tough diagnoses. And you just see the stress start to melt from from families when they hear about the organization and that their child would be eligible. So trying to find ways where we can just, you know, instill a little bit of hope. I think we all need a little bit of hope sometimes. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. And what, what are your thoughts? There's a lot out there, I think, about frame of mind, like mindset. And if there's a will, there's a way. And a lot of stories. My, my husband just recently, he's, he's sort of on the recovery end of a cancer diagnosis, hopefully. There was, you know, it was a very aggressive, scary cancer. And, and the, you know, when you're in it, then you're reading all about it and you're reading about stories and you're just more immersed in it. And I, you know, there's a lot out there about like, the drive, the will, the positivity, the mindset. What, what do you think about that from your own experience or from what you see in the hospital around the impact of that? Part yeah, of that? yeah, absolutely. So it actually, in working with Make-A-Wish more, mm. they did just this spring something called a wish impact study, mm. um, which 
took a look, it surveyed over 3,500 patients, families, uh, and physicians yeah. um, just at the impact that that hope, that wish can have on a patient who's going through this type of diagnosis. I think, you know, I we all know these days now, mental health, I mean, that mm-hmm. really, really impacts our physical health. And when we have, you know, things to look forward to, we have that hope. It just, our entire sense of, you know, well-being is improved. We're less anxious. We're, you know, feeling, you know, in a better place to actually handle some of these, you know, physical health concerns. And so what the WISH impact study showed was, I, I think what we've kind of known all along is that WISHes do help families and patients cope with illness better. And physicians actually the impression was that patients were actually in a better place to handle their illness physically uh, when they're given a wish, which is amazing. Yeah, that is. And you, you, I think you were the recipient of a wish, right? In terms of your situation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, toward the end of my treatment, I was fortunate to receive a wish from the Make-A-Wish organization. I was able to travel to uh, Disney World in Florida with my family. Drawing was a huge um, coping mechanism for me through my treatment. And so I was able to go and meet an animator of my favorite Disney films. It was so fun. Uh, But it's just, you know, having that trip scheduled at the end of this really tough year of treatment was something that myself and my family had to look forward to. It was really just like this light at the end of the tunnel that kept us going. And it's something too that I feel like, you know, really, it's just this kind of part of my childhood I was able to reclaim at a time where so much was taken Mm -hmm. from me and so much, you know, was out of our control. So yeah, it it just, it made a huge difference for us. And that, you know, the organization continues to make a huge difference for children and families Mm -hmm. every day. How does someone qualify? So I, I'll be honest, when I was preparing to talk with you and I was thinking about Make-A-Wish, in my mind, I, I don't know why I thought this, I thought you had to be dying in order yeah, to get it. Yeah. So is- I want for people that maybe aren't as familiar, like and in, in who who's eligible to to be part of the program, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a common misconception about Make-A-Wish is that It is, you know, something that's given to children who are terminal or dying. Mm -hmm. That is just not the case at this point. So over 60% of patients who receive Make-A-Wish will go on to recover from their illness, um, live full lives. And, you know, I think that's, that's a misconception. I like to, you know, be sure people know is that it's not always a terminal diagnosis and it's an organization that not just, you know, helps people through that time, but it's also kind of a springboard or a motivational piece from this experience to something more into the future. And for me, it's just something I look back on so fondly and really has motivated me to um, kind of continue in the work that I do in medicine. How does someone, I, I want to talk to you more too about your path to being a physician, but how, how does someone, if they're interested or they would like to be a candidate or how did they, do they talk to their doctor? Is there like a 1-800-Make-A-Wish number? <laughs> how do yeah. they, you know, get, get considered? How do they become a candidate? Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. 
If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. Yeah, great question. So wish.org is where I would recommend that they go. Families can self-refer to Make-A-Wish. Of course, they can talk with their medical team as well. But either way, uh, families can uh, submit an application. And it's also a great place, you know, if you just are interested in learning more about the organization, Mm -hmm. how you can get involved. If you want to hear more about the Wish Impact Study, wish.org is the place to go. And also, I would think, too, as you're talking, you know, for those of us that are healthy or that we have opportunities to maybe help make a wish, right? There's obviously other ways that we can maybe assist or contribute to maybe other wishes that people have. So that's another avenue of this, of of people that um, are listening or, you know, organizations or, you know, whatever that might be able to contribute and help. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your past. So I'm always curious in terms of you know, roles that require a significant amount of schooling. (laughs) And I have mixed feelings about the education system and how people thrive in that. I think some people are better suited or it's their brain and the way they operate is very much like our education and academic system is works a certain way. And if you work that way, it's great. (laughs) But if you're someone that it's not exactly geared towards, or you, that you, you have to find creative ways to thrive or succeed. Cause this, you know, it's like, I think there are some people that have very good memories or certain people that have certain aptitudes. So I'm curious for you, after you made this call to the, (laughs) like that you wanted to do this and you knew this is what you wanted to pursue. Tell me about that path for you. Was it, was it easy? What did school come easy to you? How did that come to fruition? Yeah. So, you know, I think for me, um, having somewhat the luxury of knowing this is what I wanted to do, I was able to really find experiences to support that. And move forward with it pretty quickly on more of a traditional schedule. Um, You know, certainly that's not the case for everyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think taking time to be sure that this is something you want to do, because it is a huge commitment in terms of schooling and tuition and all of that. So it's, you know, I always would recommend anyone thinking about medicine that they take some time to spend time in the field Mm-hmm. Um, make sure this is something that they're passionate about, you know, they're going into for the right reasons before kind of making that leap because it's a big commitment. It's a ton of work. Of course, I, you know, I think it's it's all been worth it, but, you know, there's for the right person, it's mm-hmm. the right career, but some people it's absolutely not. What I would say, you know, in going through kind of the, the medical training is that yeah. It does kind of force you to make decisions early on about what area, what specialty you may want to go into before you really have a great idea of what Mm. um, you want to do. And, you know, for me, I originally was thinking more um, kind of of a research based career, uh, particularly in pediatric oncology. And I found that it was important to be flexible and kind of see where your passions lie, which for me ended up being more in clinical medicine and kind of practice at the bedside of with patients. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you went to undergraduate, right? What was your degree in undergrad? Was that? Yeah. Was it- so, yep. So I um, went to Marquette University. Um, oh. Hi, out in Milwaukee. And um, yeah, I had a degree in physiological sciences. 
um, and from there went to medical school in Chicago at Midwestern and then circled back to Minnesota, where I'm originally from, for my residency training. And is all of that like in sequential order? Are there periods between where you're to your point around being able to experiment or be in the field or right? Is that is just like boom, 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 one after the other? Are there periods there where you're working and, you know, still in school? Yeah. So for me, it was one after another. Mm -hmm. I did take some periods of time, um, you know, summer breaks and the times where you do have a little bit of like less academic time to Mm -hmm. explore medicine in other countries. I did did some work in uh, Honduras with a medical team in college. I also spent some time at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital doing pediatric oncology research and and working with some mentors there over a summer. And that helped so much. And number one, just like reaffirming my passion for medicine Mm -hmm. and helping me structure just where I wanted to go with things. Yeah. I'm interested in your perspective. I can just hear it as you're talking about it, the your passion for what you do. And, and I'm a big believer that when you find that intersection of something you love and something you're good at, then it's, it doesn't feel like work. Right. <laughs> and, oh, of course. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll just go through fire, right, to make it happen. I feel like there's a lot of, and this is a layman's view, and so you, I'm hoping you can tell me otherwise, that there's a perspective or a perception that being a doctor now is really, really tough given mm-hmm. insurance, you know, just the world of insurance and healthcare. And just, there's a lot of pressure. This is my, again, you can tell me if I'm wrong. There's a lot of pressure to deliver and deliver quickly and to create volume <laughs> versus mm-hmm. like being able to spend more dedicated time and the passion or the reason a lot of people become physicians. It's like the system is sort of diluting that or or makes it harder. So I, I'm curious of your perspective, like if people are going into this field and, you know, how much have you had to kind of be resilient through that in terms of the politics of it or the, you know, some of the things that are out of your control and you're just really people that want to help people. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I think what, what you're describing is spot on um, in terms of, uh, you know, the challenges that so many of us in medicine are dealing with these days. I think COVID and the whole pandemic really created a lot of burnout in the medical profession. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of us are still recovering from that. So it's a career that's not without challenges. And I think, you know, kind of looking back and just how I've, you know, evolved and shifted over the course of my career, I really have focused on creating a job that allows me to, uh, you know, work within the skill set and this passion of mine, but also gives me that balance that I craved to spend time with my family, pursue other interests and passions. So for me, that was hospitalist medicine, because I'm, I'm really able to separate, you know, from my job for a good a good portion of time. Um, I typically work kind of every other week, which is nice. So I have good balance with mm. that. But I would recommend, you know, anyone thinking about going into medicine to really think, you know, about what path within medicine they want want to take and how to find a specialty or or job position that really speaks to also kind of the lifestyle and balance that they may be looking mm. for. Just something that sometimes we don't think about until, you know, 
it's too late sometimes. So thinking about that preemptively, and that's what I counsel a lot of the medical students and residents that I'm Mm -hmm. working with is to really find a position that suits the, the life that they envision. Yeah. And you talk about burnout a little bit. I think this applies to, to anyone, right? You've got people that are in school that get burnout. You've got people that are in any job that get burnout. I, I'm sure that the pressure and the stress of what you do, there, there's just so much, I would think, in addition to the pressure of having to solve complex problems that are life and death, but then also the emotional, there's just so much emotional energy. You were just talking about coaching students. So what counsel do you have? <laughs> Yeah, to manage that, right? To kind of offset all of that, because that's a lot to deal with. Right, right. So, you know, I, number one, I think just kind of looking back at my path, I think I realized the importance of flexibility and the importance of allowing yourself to shift if you're in a situation that isn't really, you know, working well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. Um, I think so often we're, we think you know, we have to get to point A to point B and, you know, that is the equivalent of success when in reality, the path can be much less linear and we get to a place that, you know, maybe even better than we originally anticipated, which is what, you know, I feel like has happened to me. So I think, you know, flexibility is huge and then just creating that, that vision for yourself and trying to take small steps along the way to um, support a path to get there. Yeah. And on the, on the emotional side, and just in terms of the mental health piece and kind of being able to refuel and be resilient, what, what are some tactics that, that you all use? Like when you're kind of on all the time, like, is it, Hey, make sure you get out and run around the hospital for 15 minutes. Like, are there, there's like probably behavioral many things you can do. And then there's maybe more long-term plans. Well, and I think just the ability to collaborate well with your, mm-hmm. your colleagues on, on some of the challenges and stressors that, that we all deal with has been important. So I know a number of my colleagues have been really interested in burnout prevention and mm-hmm physician wellness. And we you know, are working on developing more of those strategies within our group, whether it be, you know, scheduling some additional time off for people to, mm-hmm. you know, be able to recharge and recover and also just finding other outlets for physicians and healthcare providers to kind of get the emotional support that they need, uh, you know, as we're kind of working through yeah. a really, just a tough time in healthcare. Sure. And then I guess on the upside, when I think about your, what you described in terms of your role and what you do, there must be an incredible amount of like fulfillment and reward when a situation goes well and when people heal and you're a part of that. And does that make it worthwhile in the end? You know, is there enough upside given what you get to witness? I mean, you must be, you must witness unbelievable human spirits sort of in action. I can't. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, there are a lot of, a lot of challenges. There's a lot of not, not super satisfying, um, you know, diagnoses that we deal with, especially in the mental health realm with children and teenagers right now. But there are cases that, you know, just keep us going. And I think seeing kids, you know, walk out of the hospital in a much better place than they came in, it's always super rewarding. 
<laughs> and just like those small um, tokens of gratitude from patients and families, the pictures that kids draw us, the small mm-hmm. thank you from parents, like those, they just go so far, I think, to keep us motivated and to keep us going. Do you focus purely now in oncology or do you, are you, I think you were mentioning some different you know, facets of your day. So is it all based in oncology or? We are busy scheduling relatable interviews for 2023, and we love our relatable community. If you or someone you know would be a good guest for relatable, let us know. You can send an email to info at tfasoftskills.com. Include the potential guest name and contact information. Please send all suggestions to info at tfasoftskills.com. Yeah, great question. So I'm uh, a general pediatric hospitalist. Okay. I have spent some time working as a oncology hospitalist as well. Mm-hmm. And I do take care of uh, patients that have various types of cancers and blood disorders as part of my job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a wide variety that I get to see, which is kind of fun and exciting. So it, yeah, it, it keeps things interesting for sure and keeps us challenged every day. What would you say in terms of what helps to you to be successful in what you do or when you think about people that, that seem to thrive or do well in this area, like in being a physician, what are some of the characteristics that you find, right? And people that seem to, like you were talking about, it's like a certain kind of person, right? That like Mm -hmm. can figure it out and the lifestyle works or, you know, obviously you've been at this for a while. What do you see as, oh, if if these people have these kind of five things, they're usually off to the races. Gosh, you know, um, I think a lot of people think, well, you have to, you know, get really good grades. You have to be super motivated. I mean, there are some, you know, underlying criteria that you have to meet to get to that point. But I find that the people that do the best and end up being the most successful are the ones that are excellent communicators. They're kind. They listen. Just like, honestly, simple social skills um, and have good problem solving tendencies, good Mm -hmm. people skills. I mean, it just goes so far. And I, I mean, I can tell you, it's just in working with the great consultants that I get to work with. I mean, they're are people that you know you want to call up and you're like I just you know really want to talk with them about this patient collaborate with them and I find that those are the people I want to talk to um those are the people that I highly regard when I talk to families you know about ex-specialists that you're gonna see like oh they're great and I I look at it I'm like it's really because they're a good communicator they're a good listener um Mm -hmm. and of course they're smart they have you know good medical knowledge but it just goes to show I think that that skill goes so far. And sometimes it's not something that people kind of equate to medicine uh, right off the bat. It's interesting, like some, you know, when we were going through it with my husband and I, you know, you're interviewing people and you're talking to surgeons and the whole thing. And there's, there's like, if they have ego, right. Does that mean they're a better surgeon? Cause they're an asshole, right? <laughs> Use my French. Um, I was like, why can't you have both? <laughs> why can't you have a good surgeon and someone that can, effectively communicate with you and, and be able to, you know, you got, I think for, in the end, you, as a patient on his side, it was like, you got to feel connected to the person that's going to be doing this, right? Even if it's fleeting, you got, you have to be able to feel connected. Yeah. And you have to be able to trust them and feel safe. Yeah, for sure. Tell me a little bit about 
In terms of the offsetting of like, I know we talked about make a wish a little bit before, but in terms of how much time are you spending in that world, right? Versus like what you do on, in your hospitalist role. Do you spend a lot of time with Make-A-Wish now, like it, in terms of coming, coming full circle from your own experience? Yeah. So I volunteer as a medical advisor for my local chapter of Make-A-Wish. Okay. So I review cases for wish eligibility and travel safety uh, is a big thing. So I'll, uh, if we have a child that's, you know, wanting to go on a wish that requires air travel and might be kind of in a more tenuous um, medical state, we'll connect with their healthcare provider, make sure that, you know, we can ensure everything goes as smoothly and safely as possible. And then I also, you know, talk about my experience with Make-A-Wish and, you know, help get the word out about the organization through various media outlets. So this is something that I've become more involved with during the COVID pandemic, which mm. I think in a time where so much, so many physicians were feeling kind of burned out, I, I can say I've felt that way too. Yeah. And for me, it was so important to find um, something that I was really passionate about and really kind of kept me going. So uh, yeah, so I'm really happy to be able to continue my work with the organization and just kind of something that's really important to me. That's awesome. And then I also had a question as you were talking before, and I'm not sure how to frame it. So um, in terms of like there, when you have a your child is sick and critically ill and you're getting treatment as parents or as other family members, you're not always parents, right? Caregivers. What advice do you have for them on advocating for their child or working more effectively with you as the physician or the physicians or the teams, right? That was one of the things that I know for me, I, I wasn't always sure, like, right? Like what's the... <laughs> what's my role and the caregiver and my role when, when the stuff's happening and stuff was going south and it was critical, you're kind of like, should I be more involved? Should I not be more involved? Like what, what is from the, phys- I would love to know from the physician side, like what's helpful, what would you advise, you know, for, yeah. for parents to do or how, how they interact with you? What's the best? Yeah. I think, you know, that communication piece really goes both ways. I think some families will kind of bottle up some of the um, anxiety and the concerns that they're having and not always put it right out there for various reasons. So I think just being, you know, really a concise communicator in your questions and needs goes Mm -hmm. a long way to helping uh, your healthcare providers respond and and really kind of meet you, <laughs> meet you halfway with whatever challenges or, you know, stressors that are affecting you. Writing down questions was a big thing for us. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. you know, keeping like a notebook of, because there's so many things that go through your mind, whether they be short-term questions or long-term questions. And sometimes your time with the doctor is only, you know, a short period of time every day or every right. week or so just having that open sense of communication is so important. What about when you went through it? Like, do you have siblings? Yeah. yeah. How did that impact your family? Would you say when, where, where are you in your, are you the baby? Are you the oldest? Where are yeah, you? I'm the oldest. Uh, so I have a sister that's five years younger than me. So at the time of my diagnosis, she was heading off to kindergarten and it oh absolutely affects every member of the family. Um, I had a parent that had to take a leave from their job to um, help manage kind of the, all the appointments and hospitalizations. It affects everyone differently, but everyone profoundly. 
Mm. And that's kind of where um, it was important for us to, you know, have a wish that really kind of reflected on the challenges that we went through as a family, but mm. also was something that we could all celebrate with together. That's really interesting. So the wish piece of of it being a family, it's not just you doing it, right? Like in your case anyway, like there was the whole family could participate in that. Right. And is that common, like in terms of wishes or does it vary based on what the wish is? Yeah. So I'd say it's variable depending on the wish. I would say most wishes to some extent involve kind of a celebration of the entire family. There was a wish recently that we celebrated at our wish gala uh, here in Minnesota that was a a young girl who wished for a she shed, which was adorable. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And they went all out. She had this like decked out she shed with, you know, a little spot for her dog. And I mean, you can just see the entire family is just thrilled. (laughs) Like the, you know, the smile coming from everyone's face. It's just like you can feel the impact of these wishes. That's a great, I was actually, my next question was going to be, could you give us some examples of some cool wishes or wishes that maybe that, that's a really, that's cool. It's a different type of wish. What are, what are some of the wishes you've seen that were pretty impactful or uh, made it, you know, impact for you or, or for the family you were supporting and helping with? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Well, I think that the she shed, that's one of my recent favorite ones for sure. Travel wishes are very popular and are, you know, more and more popular now that people are wanting to get out and travel. Um, And that's most of what I'm kind of working with, with the organization, just because I do so much with travel safety, but you can see to families that just are, you know, they haven't been able to take a trip for so long, mm-hmm. especially with some of the accommodations that their children need from a medical standpoint, financial constraints of these types of trips for a, a larger family. So Hawaii, uh, Disney, those are always very, very popular. We've had you know children that request things like shopping sprees or um, playground equipment or, you know, a new computer, a room makeover. There's all sorts of things and they can be, you know, big to small. Mm-hmm. We actually had a, a local family here request like a local playground be built uh, in their name that other children could enjoy, uh, which was so, so neat. It's like yeah. the things kids come up with are, are just amazing. Oh, so cool. All right. Well, I have a little bit more time with you. I guess the one question I, and you may have touched on this already, but I'll be more direct with my question about it in terms of soft skills. So I am someone who's passionate about the development of soft skills in particular, those that are helping people at at these key milestones. So graduating from high school, graduating from college, you know, getting your first entry level job, even moving from like individual contributors to management positions. I feel like soft skills are critical to each of those milestones and progressing. And I'm curious for you, either in your own journey or what you're seeing with, you know, entry-level talent or what are some of your favorite (laughs) and what, you know, why, why are they important in particular people are listening and they're trying to strengthen some of these skills. If if you were going to point out one or two that you thought was really good for them to spend some time developing, what would they be? You know, I think I already kind of touched a little bit on communication um, Mm -hmm. so that, you know, number one, I think that's really important. Collaboration uh, Mm -hmm. is huge, particularly just as you're working through your career and needing to network and kind of step from one um, place to the next. 
I fortunately was able to work with my oncologist that I had as a, a child. I was able to do some research with him. I was able to, you know, work side by side in my clinical training with him. And, you know, that gave me a lot of insights and and kind of shaped where I wanted to go with my the next steps of my career. But just having people that you know and trust that can collaborate with you kind of help propel you to the next step and Mm -hmm. give you kind of better insights into kind of where you see your career going over time. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that, and I love that you chose collaboration in addition to communication, I think being open, like the way you framed it was you were open to other people's points of view. You were open to that mentorship and then being able to then hear that and act on it. You know, that's part of collaboration too. Like being able to, like you yourself being open to what other people are sharing versus like, or and not versus, and being able to collaborate with someone where it's like, you've got a part, they've got a part, and then together you're you're working towards something. And I think those are both unique ways in which collaboration works. And then you, you, you mentioned too, the networking and relationship aspect. What I think is so interesting, like you talk about it in the, in the world of a physician, that it's so important in any profession <laughs> to have relationships and to be able to nurture those relationships through collaboration. So I love, I love that one. And then lastly, I would ask you, which I asked most of my guests, if I can, when you think about your own path and your own journey to where you are now, and you think of young Dr. Jen <laughs> along the way here, is there any advice or counsel you would give her that would have made your path to this point any smoother? So Often people say, you know, my life is my life and I love what happened because I wouldn't be here otherwise. And I'm a big believer in that too. I also believe, but like, if I had like me to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, if you kind of did this or you thought about this, then it probably could have been a little bit easier to get here. Yeah, no, absolutely. So for me, I had a, a very kind of a firm vision of what I anticipated my career would look like. I was initially thinking it would be pediatric oncology, maybe more of a research-based position. And looking back, I wish, you know, I I would have known it's okay to be flexible. It's okay to keep your Mm -hmm. options open. Even if you have a passion or vision that you are really like, this is what I want to do. It's okay to change course based on how something feels or your change in, you know, what's important to you. And for Mm -hmm. me, it was being close to, you know, my extended family. It was having a little more work-life balance and really being able to practice medicine, uh, being at the bedside and working uh, with patients and families every day rather than um, being more research focused. So that, you know, was the stressful transition for me to kind of change course uh, but it was something I think that that was important. And looking back, you know, I think just allowing yourself not to be quite as rigid in what you want and mm-hmm. allowing some, you know, degree of flexibility and openness to kind of where you see yourself eventually, um, you know, landing. I love that. It's almost like the very thing that got you to where you wanted to be because you had such a clear goal like that served you very well. And then it's like, how do you then bend that? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because that worked and that was the goal. And then it's like, well, wait, what now you have other input that's telling you maybe to, to redirect or to approach maybe a a different way or to be open to a different experience or opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I love that. Thank you so much for for being here and being on Relatable and being our first physician. It's super exciting. <laughs> and for talking so much about your own story and also your career path and and Make-A-Wish. I think it's really great to know a bit more about the program and and for people to hear that it's available and you know if they're in a spot where they can be a candidate, they should they should absolutely take advantage. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Pratt, for a great conversation. I love learning about your personal story. I had no idea that you could ask for a wish during treatment and that it can be used to help motivate and heal patients. I really appreciate your comments about the importance of communication, being kind, active listening, and problem solving, and how collaborating is critical to success and helping to build your network. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. A huge thank you to our Relatable community for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe either on YouTube or your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.